0: What is up Thrive Tribe? Welcome back to the Thrive University Podcast. I am your host and Chief Energy Officer, Jeremy Abramson. And as a podcast host, sometimes there's those moments where I pinch myself in disbelief in amazement that I am gifted with the opportunity to interview and conversate with someone who I've been looking up to and admiring for many years. And that was certainly the case with this conversation with Dr. Daniel Amen. I've been a huge fan of this man for a few years now. And for those who don't know, he is the doctor to a lot of celebrities, such as Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus. And they've both openly spoken about the impact that Dr. Daniel has had on them. And in this conversation, we dive deep into such important topics, all encompassing mental health, addiction, uh, overcoming past trauma. And Dr. Daniel gets vulnerable. He shares some of his childhood traumas and some of the resentments and feelings of anxiety he's experienced. And I really think this message is so important, especially at this moment of time. And I want you to not only listen to this, but see how you can apply today's message into your life. I'm truly grateful to be able to bring you the top minds in health and wellness. And all I ask in return is for you to apply this knowledge and wisdom into your life. And if you feel inspired to do so, please subscribe, share, and leave a review for the show, fam. I know it might not seem like it, but it honestly makes a huge difference in allowing us to impact more lives. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And just to give you a little context, I start this show, I start the recording a little before we actually were officially recording. I led Dr. Amen through a little breathing exercise, and I thought it'd be cool for you guys to listen to that. So that's what you're going to be opened up with. And I really love you. I support you. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to today's show. All right, doc. Um, are you open to taking a couple breaths before we officially get started? I am. Beautiful. And, and do you have a hard cut off that one? Yeah, I do. Okay, perfect. Cool. All right. Let's get nice and tall. Left hand on the heart. Right hand on the forehead. And just My biggest intention with every conversation I have is to really drop from the head to the heart, that 18-inch journey that I feel like is where all of the magic happens. So big inhale, feeling that expansion a little bit more, holding it at the top, exhale, letting go. Beautiful. Last one, Doc. Big inhale. A little bit more. Exhale, letting it out. <sighs> Amazing. All right, Doc, I am going to read off your intro, and then we will get started. Sound good? Great. Awesome. What is up, Everybody, welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, do I have a special treat for you today. We have on one of my biggest inspirations in my health and wellness journey, Dr. Daniel Amen. And Dr. Amen is a former US Army infantry medic physician double board certified psychiatrist, 12 time New York Times bestselling author and founder and CEO of Amon Clinics with nine locations across the United States. Now, Amon Clinics has the world's largest database of brain scans related to behavior, totaling more than 170,000 scans on patients from 150 plus countries. Dr. Amen's research team has published more than 80 scientific articles and Discover Magazine named his research as one of the top stories in science for 2015. Dr. Amen has also written, produced, and hosted 15 national public television shows about the brain that have aired over 125,000 times across North America. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, brother. It's 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 honestly such a pleasure. And, you know, I thought we'd get started off just how I connected with your team and they came across one of my TikTok videos where I included one of your spec images of a brain from a marijuana smoker. Um, and a lot of people were upset about this, but I... read your research about how it limits blood flow to the hippocampus and, 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 and hinders your memory. So I would love if you could talk a little bit about that specifically with weed, and then also your spec imaging, because you really revolutionized an industry. And I, and I think it's worth talking about that.
1: So I first started looking at the brain in the late 1980s and in 1991, I started Uh, using a study called Brain SPECT Imaging to help my patients. SPECT is a nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how the brain works. And it basically shows us three things, good activity, too little or too much. Mm -hmm. And it just completely revolutionized how I treated my patients, how I treated myself, And I came to realize that mental health was actually brain health. And that one idea just changed everything. And brain health is basically three things. Brain envy, gotta care about it, avoid things that hurt it, and do things that help it. And when I started imaging, I was a director of a dual diagnosis unit. That's a psychiatric hospital unit that takes care of substance abusers and their scans just looked terrible (laughs) compared to everybody else that I was scanning. I'm also a child psychiatrist, so i was seen little kids and old people, and the substance abuser just had the worst-looking brain, Hmm. and, you know, the real reason not to use drugs is they damage your brain. If they damage your brain, they damage your life, and then we started looking at specific drugs, And everybody thought marijuana was just sort of a soft drug. Um, You know, it wasn't like a big problem. And now it's legal. And and I'm actually glad it's legal. I don't want to put people who are smoking pot in jail. That's just dumb. Um, But let's not say it's a good thing. And even early on, I'd have these teenagers come to me, and the parents thought they had ADD because they had no motivation, they weren't doing well in school, but they didn't have the ADD symptoms like three years earlier. And anytime I heard that story, if you look at the scan, it has a toxic look to it. And then I would go to the kids because they'd all denied they were doing drugs. And I'm like, your brain looks toxic you said you're not drinking or smoking pot, how can you explain it? And then they'd start to cry and it's like, you won't tell my mother. And and then we got really serious from a research perspective. And we took our healthy group, compared them to our marijuana group. Every area of their brain was lower. Every area of their brain, particularly the hippocampus, which is the major memory structure in the brain. And then a couple of years ago, I published the world's largest imaging study on 62,454 scans, looking at how the brain ages from nine months to 105 years old. And then, and it's fascinating how the brain ages. But then we looked at, well, what are the factors that accelerate aging? And schizophrenia was the worst. It made your brain look. 10 years older than you were. Um, And then marijuana, and it shocked us, quite frankly, it came in second as the thing that accelerated the brain uh, ahead of alcohol and smoking. And um, people don't wanna hear it, but the research is actually pretty clear. If you smoke pot as a teenager, you have a higher incidence of anxiety, depression, and suicide in your 20s. For people who are genetically vulnerable, anybody who smokes pot as a teenager, they increase their risk of psychosis 450%. Now, is it, is it worse than alcohol? That's really not the right discussion. The right discussion is, does it make your brain better? And the answer really unequivocally, in my experience, is no, it doesn't make your brain better.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. I heard you mention in a previous interview that, you know, obviously if someone has something serious like pancreatic cancer and they need uh, something to give them an appetite, it's like, okay, this person has cancer. Like we can use it it for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, opiates aren't any good for you either, but my mom recently broke one of the vertebrae in her back Mm because she has osteoporosis and Dear Lord, please give her an opiate. But let's not say opiates are good for the brain. I mean, it's the compassionate, the right thing to do because people in pain are going to shoot themselves to get out of the pain. But but let's not say it's good for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I don't know about you, Doctor Amen. For me, I've seen. I think a lot of it comes down to intention, too. You know, as someone who has spent some time with plant medicines and things like that, I feel like. These tools have potential to elevate our consciousness or creativity in some capacity. However, if we build this relationship with them of dependency, where it's like, I need this thing to function, obviously, that's not a healthy space to be in.
1: Yeah, and I love plant medicine. Before we came on, you and I talked about saffron, and saffron has 21 randomized controlled trials showing it works about as good as Prozac and Paxil and Lexpro and Zoloft, good antidepressants. But, but I get worried with things like magic mushrooms and ketamine and ayahuasca and ibogaine as first-line treatments because I think we should try getting your diet right first. And we should try teaching you not to believe every stupid thing you think. And we should make sure your omega-3 fatty acid level and your vitamin D level. I mean, we should do the foundational things first. And then if your PTSD or your major depression is not going away after you've tried really the Least toxic things, then something like ketamine or psilocybin is worth a try.
0: Yeah, and and I'm actually interested because I've personally implemented microdosing, which is a very small uh, small dose of psilocybin, and I mix it with lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, which, as you know. Have a lot of benefits for the brain, have been used in Chinese medicine for quite some time now. And, you know, my dad was actually a neurologist for 40 years. And this is something he was very resistant towards. And as more research comes out from Johns Hopkins and Yale and Cornell and a lot of these places, it, it looks like, again, from what I've seen, it looks like it can increase neural connections and stuff like that but i 100% agree with you in terms of like let's take care of the basics let's make sure you're sleeping moving your body eating clean and then we can start other modalities right i
1: mean let's get the basics of brain health first and and i think you know many people aren't going to have any problems with microdosing psilocybin but there's that subpopulation that will, and that's what makes me anxious. And I always say some anxiety is important because anxiety prevents you from doing stupid things. There's this great study from Stanford where they looked at 1,548 10-year-old children in 1921, And then they followed them for 90 years, looking at what went with success, health, and longevity. And it wasn't a lack of anxiety. In fact, the don't worry, be happy people died the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. So it's sort of a dose response. You you need enough so you won't do stupid things, but obviously too much is, is a problem. And so I used to think my job was to get rid of my patients' anxiety. And then I realized, for some of my patients, I need to raise
0: their anxiety. Mm, That's a really interesting perspective. And Doc, you know, I think you have really revolutionized the whole uh, psychiatry space with your approach and really getting to the root cause of the problem. And that's what really stands out. About the work that you do. It's not just about, you know, movement, nutrition, and lifestyle. It's about like your inner world, your subconscious mind, the thoughts that you're having. And I know you've gotten a lot of flack in the industry for all of your innovation. Now, I'd love for you to kind of touch on that and what maybe impact that's had on you, you know, if that ever if you ever let that kind of bring you down or maybe steer you off your mission. And I'm just curious, like, how were you able to push forward through all of uh, the negativity and through so many people in your space talking down on you?
1: Yeah, it was uh, quite the wild ride until I stopped paying attention to it. yeah, it really hurt my feelings early on. You know, I didn't go to medical school to be shamed by my colleagues. Uh, but when I started looking at the brain, um, what a lot of people don't know, the SPECT was actually developed in the 1980s. And early on, there was a lot of excitement in psychiatry about it. Back in 1991, 92, 93, there were all day conferences at the American Psychiatric Association about brain SPECT. And the, the problem became, it didn't match the orthodoxy. So the American Psychiatric Association publishes this document called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which basically teaches people how to diagnose anxiety disorders, depression, schizophrenia, and so on. Well, I can tell in about 10 minutes if you're depressed. What I can't tell is why that depression really shouldn't be a diagnosis. It's a symptom cluster that has many different causes. It's sort of like chest pain and people don't get the diagnosis of chest pain. Why? Because it doesn't tell you what causes it. It doesn't tell you what to do for it. And. So early on, I realized, oh, there's not one kind of depression. There's seven kinds of depression based on imaging. There's seven types of ADD. Um, There's six different types of addicts. And that was really pushing against the status quo. And oh, by the way, some of the medications I was taught to prescribe were toxic for brain function. And so now I'm a heretic um, because I think you should not make diagnoses based on symptom clusters with no biological data, that's insane. You know, That's how they diagnosed Lincoln in 1840 with depression. They talked to him, they looked at him, they looked for symptom clusters, oh, wow. diagnosed and treated him with melancholia, which is just major depression. And I'm like, come on, we can do better than 1840. You need imaging. And then imaging actually leads you to less medicine rather than more medicine. And so now I'm on the fringe because I think we should actually get biological data before diagnosing and treating people. And for the first four years, I was really off balance. I mean, I knew I should do it. I love doing it. My patients got better. My clinic is growing. And then in 1995, something very important happened. Uh, My nine-year-old nephew, Andrew, attacks a little girl on the baseball field for no particular reason, horrifies me. And of course, I got to scan him. When I scan him, we find a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space of his left temporal lobe and when we take it out his behavior completely goes back to normal well now this is personal and i didn't care if you criticized me anymore for me that's when the war really began with my profession and i became more vocal I ended up writing change your brain change your life andrews one of the opening stories the book was a bestseller for forty weeks and I just don't care if you like me or not anymore if you don't look at the brains of your patients, shame on you how do you know I mean are you' really going to guess what other medical specialists guess at treating their organ none of them and so I knew that would become my mission and and when I stopped paying attention to what people said about me, I just got so much happier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just got so much happier. And, you know, now we have the world's largest database of brain scans related to behavior. Discover Magazine listed our research in 2016 as one of the top 100 stories in science. So not in psychiatry, but we came in at number 19 between The discovery of a new dinosaur species and elon musk going into renewable energy so (laughs) i felt really good about that but but that's not what drives me what drives me is people get better you know we talked about justin bieber and being in his docu-series seasons miley cyrus came out last year and said she was my patient and we did an instagram live together um it's It's great to see people change because of my work. And at this point, it's really about ending mental illness. I have a recent book called The End of Mental Illness. I don't think of them as mental illnesses. That shames people. It's stigmatizing. It's wrong. They're brain health issues. Get your brain right and your mind will follow. And so... Yeah, it unbalanced me for a few years. But, you know, I think anybody that pioneers something new, that there's a personal backstory, that they have a story in their heart like Andrew's story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Doc. I, I definitely want to take this. Uh, you gave us so much juicy info. And and I want to ask you, um, before I ask you, actually, you know, it sounds like that situation with Andrew in 1995 was really like your why, where it was like, I'm not going to let any naysayer, any organization, any university stop me from doing this because you had that inner knowing of the impact you were creating in the world. And I'm so glad that you stayed strong and trusted your intuition. So thank you so much for your courage over the years, because I know that couldn't have been easy. and um, You also made me think about the 18, 40, 60 principle um, that you you mentioned in your new book, Your Brain Is Always Listening. And I thought this was so spot on. Can you talk very briefly about that? Yeah, I love that rule so
1: much. I learned it probably, I don't know, almost 40 years ago. And it says, when you're 18, you worry about what everybody's thinking of you. And when you're 40, you don't give a damn what anybody thinks about you. And when you're 60, you realize no one has been thinking about you at all. People spend their days worrying and thinking about themselves, not you. And so when one of my colleagues criticizes me, well, one, I know they're only thinking about it for this short period of time. And two, if they're criticizing me, they actually don't know me. They don't know about the 80 scientific studies I've published, they don't know about our database and they've never read anything. Because if you read it, it's really clear, it's really thoughtful and it's science-based. Like the end of mental illness has a 1,084 scientific references. And so, you know, if you don't like it, you probably aren't really thinking about me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Doc. And going back to Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus, you know, and I, and I mentioned to you, I saw, I saw, I binge watched the whole series of, of seasons and I'm curious to know, obviously keeping client confidentiality in mind, but what is maybe a common thread you see between people like that? I mean, who are, I mean, it doesn't get bigger than Miley and Justin Bieber and they both started their fame at you know 12 13 14 like their brain is is in the middle of developing so obviously there's unique challenges but can you talk a little bit about maybe some similarities you see across some of these celebrities uh actors actresses whoever it may be sorry to interrupt today's show but i just want to shout out our sponsors because these two companies are literally the way that i start and end my day and first purity coffee this is the cleanest most sustainable fair trade coffee on the market and it also has the highest contents of antioxidants 97 percent of coffee in the u.s has mold and mycotoxins so we don't want that shit in our body so the best way to really avoid it is by investing in a delicious brew. And you might be spending 4 or $5 a cup on your morning cup of coffee. This is a great way to not only improve your level of coffee, your quality, but also save some money too. So go to puritycoffee.com and type in Coach Jeremy at checkout. You'll get hooked up with 20% off and yeah enjoy that shit and think of me every time you have your morning cup of joe and then i gotta shout out cbd santa cruz medicinals they have absolutely hooked it up and have helped me with my deep sleep with their deep sleep turmeric capsules i usually take these every other night and i've tried different cbds in the past but none of them really Impacted me. And um, I really encourage you to give these both a try. Both the Purity Coffee and the CBD. They have tinctures, they have capsules, they have a whole bunch of cool stuff. And again, the most sustainable, the highest quality. Coach Jeremy at checkout, 20% off. Get hooked up and continue to elevate your health, your wellness in 2021. Now, let's get back to the show.
1: You know, they have the same challenges. Uh, that everybody else has. They just have way too much stress too early. And, uh, you know, what I do with all my patients is I have them write, I go to my whiteboard and I have them write down what they're thinking. And I mean, if you can imagine someone like Justin or Miley going, I'm not enough, it's like, well, that means there will never be enough, right? Or I'm a failure or people take advantage of me. Um, it's, It's sort of the messy thinking that too many people live with, but they also have chronic stress and their pleasure centers get worn out. So your pleasure centers deep in the brain its an area in the basal ganglia called the nucleus accumbens. It responds to dopamine. Well, when you're a worldwide star, you're getting a lot of dopamine production from people recognizing you and you signing big contracts. And um, and this is before your brain is actually finished developing. And the more dopamine that hits those pleasure centers, the more it deadens them. And people don't know that, but that's why cocaine, that over time people aren't using cocaine For the high, they're using it just to feel normal because they've worn out the pleasure centers in their brain. And fame works just like cocaine. And over time, you need more and more in order to feel anything at all. And that's why young stars often feel depressed. They feel flat. And then they turn to alcohol, marijuana, mushrooms, cocaine, methamphetamines, and it just ruins them. And, uh, you know, and I love those kids so much. And Miley was on Joe Rogan recently, and she she's starting to talk like the CEO of an organization. I just love that that it's not about the moment, it's about all the moments. And I want to do this 20, 30, 40 years from now, her um, godmother is Dolly Parton. And she's like, I get it, the decisions I make now are going to impact my ability to be successful
0: long-term. How much of success, longevity, long-term success is about delaying, gratif- uh, delaying gratification and, and, and foregoing that instant hit of dopamine that you talked about. Do you know the marshmallow test? I'm familiar with it, but I would love for you to talk about it for sure. We've never done we've
1: never so, it on the show. Walter Mitchell's professor at Stanford. And he did this experiment with four-year-olds is he said, I'll give you a marshmallow um, now, but if you can wait a little bit, I'll give you two. And those kids that opted to wait to get more, he followed them for like 20 years, were significantly more successful in virtually every area of their lives because they had impulse control they're able to assess the situation even at four delay gratification so that they got more down the road and there's a great modern example of this so we just had the super bowl and the oldest quarterback in super bowl history tom brady um and i'm not a fan of football i played football i love you know loved football but I also did the big NFL study. And football is a brain damaging sport. I would never let my children play a contact sport, especially one like football where they get a concussion every year. So let's just own: football is a brain damaging sport. But if you read Tom Brady's book, TB12, or really know about his routine, he's a brain warrior. He does absolutely everything else Right. He sleeps nine hours. He takes supplements. He only eats brain healthy food. He works out like a fiend. He doesn't believe every stupid thing he thinks. I mean, if you read TV 12, it's sort of like you're reading the end of mental illness <laughs> and, or, you know, my book, The Brain Warrior's Way. And that's why he's not only the greatest of all time for football, but for 20 years and he's still not going to retire. So it's such an important point. There are people in brain damaging jobs. Think police officers, firefighters, EMTs, people that are under chronic stress that are vulnerable to head trauma because of the fights they get into or the falls, the toxins they breathe, the emotional trauma, they see repeatedly. If they're going to thrive, they need to put their brains in a healing environment. And that's what longevity is is about. And it starts with healthy frontal lobes because brain health is really this one question is this good for my brain or bad for it if you can answer that question with information and love your brain's going to get better um but too often we're not teaching the people who need brain help how simple it can be and how important it is and that's and it starts with the front part of your brain
0: yeah i appreciate that doc and you know uh, one of the themes that i've seen on i'm not sure if if you're on tiktok yet but if not doc we got to get you on there i'm sure your team's taking care of it but my page is basically become a platform for calling out these huge food companies who put all of these artificial dyes you know um fake sugars sweeteners and all of these things like red 40 and you know aspartame and sucralose and you can go down the list right that really have proven. And I actually read on your website about how RED40 can accelerate ADHD and these different things. And and it's so unfortunate because it's on the childhood brain that's still developing. And I'm curious to know, this is probably not where you expected my question to go, but I also heard you mentioned briefly on Ed Milet's show about the detriments on the frontal lobe of watching pornography.
1: Right. It's actually, I mean, what it's doing is it's wearing out your pleasure centers. Um, If you get hooked on it, where you find you need more and more to get that same level of pleasure, it's deadening the pleasure centers in the brain. So you have to be very thoughtful. And, And I love the fact that you're calling out the food companies, in my book, The Brain Warrior's Way, I talk about the weapons of mass destruction, which, you know, our food industry, ISIS has nothing on our food industry. Um, the real weapons of mass destruction are highly processed, pesticide spray, high glycemic, low fiber, food-like substances stored in plastic containers. Um, with 72% of us overweight, 42% of us obese. It's the biggest brain drain in the history of the United States. And we're exporting these bad foods around the world. And I'm just horrified by it. Um, I published three studies, a study on 35,000 scans that showed a linear correlation. As your weight went up, the size and function of your brain went down, which should just scare the fat off anyone. And, um, you know, I say to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. If you're overweight or obese, you have five of the 11 automatically.
0: Crazy. Yeah. And I know a big one, I know a big one for that, for those is out of the 11 uh, is blood flow. So quickly talk about, you know, two or three of the things that really restrict blood flow to the brain, and then maybe two or three things that we can do to really improve that blood flow and circulation. And maybe a couple of things, doc, you know, you're 66 now and you're so energetic, you're so sharp, you're so committed to your mission. So, I'd love to know some of the routines uh, that you instill in your day to day life.
1: So, the mnemonic we have uh, for the 11 risk factors called Bright Minds, and B is for blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease. And we see it on scans, SPECT is a blood flow study. Um, you know, you have low blood flow if you have hypertension, as blood pressure goes up, and it it's up in 60% of Americans, then blood flow to the brain goes down. Any form of heart disease, if you don't exercise, if you have erectile dysfunction, which is way too common, which is why you see the commercials for Cialis and Levitra and Viagra all the time on TV. Um, if you have a sedentary lifestyle and so exercise ginkgo a huge fan of ginkgo the prettiest brains I've ever seen take ginkgo um foods like beets cayenne pepper oregano uh can increase blood flow and you know as far as my Uh, routines. As soon as my feet hit the floor in the morning, I say to myself, today is going to be a great day. It's part of something called positivity bias training that I teach, but I also do. Um, And then I have 40 minutes in the morning of huddles. I'm still the CEO of Amon Clinics and BrainMD, our supplement company. So I have two 20-minute huddles and I'm walking. You know, it's like, why am I going to sit on Zoom? Everybody knows what I look like. uh, But I do it with my headphones on, walking up hills. And, you know, I start the day, just finished lifting weights. I do that two or three times a week. And I make this incredible shake in the morning for my wife and I. At Brand MD, we make what I think is the world's cleanest protein powder. It's only got two grams of sugar. It tastes amazing. And I put an omega-3 uh, liquid in there. I love a liposomal vitamin C, NeuroGreens, smart mushrooms. I wanted to call smart mushrooms, happy mushrooms, but I'm like, mm, that might not go quite so well. <laughs> but just as you had mentioned earlier, it's got reishi and lion's mane and cordyceps and turkey tail. Um, Cause it's good for your immune system. We need that now more than ever put bright minds powder in it just, it tastes amazing. And it's good for me. And that's a, that's a principle I live in every day it's do I love foods that love me back?
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship. I have is in a 20 year marriage that was awful. And when I got divorced, which is now 21 years ago, I told myself I am only going to love people that love me back. And, and then when I realized that food is a relationship, It's I'm only going to love food that loves me back. I mean, yes, I like Rocky Road ice cream a lot, but it'll just beat me up. It's pro-inflammatory. It's addictive. You know, once you finish your first bowl, you're thinking about your second bowl. It's like, no, I am, you know, and so, um, you know, I just love frozen blueberries and they love me too, I love it. Think like that. It just helps so much. And then before I go to bed every night, and this is my favorite exercise, I almost look forward to going to bed. It's, um, I say a prayer and then I go, what went well today? And I even look for the micro moments because if I can string 10 things that went well that day, I know it sets my dreams up to be more positive. Even, you know, I figured out how to make a super healthy, uh, delicious hot chocolate. So it's a brain healthy, hot chocolate. Um, People can see the recipe on my Instagram. Um, Just that first taste. It's generally in the top 10 micro moments of the day, but focusing on what went well, starting the day with today is going to be a great day. It keeps your mind balanced during what is arguably one of the most stressful years of everybody's life.
0: Yeah, and I wanna talk more about that, that stressful year. And I also wanna talk about uh, your marriage with Tana. Um, it's beautiful to watch you guys and I've been listening, I've been binging on your podcast. And it seems to me what's so cool about the relationship is I think you guys have been married for fifteen years or thirteen years? We've been together fifteen years this year'll be our thirteenth year we're married. Amazing, doc. You like that. I did my homework. Um, I but, do like that. thank you, yeah. but 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 it seems like you guys are very aligned with your <laughs> visions and that you complement each other very well in terms of like your energetic frequencies. And, and I just like for you to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what's different this time around, um, what's working, what has worked and ultimately maybe some words of wisdom for people who might be in a toxic relationship and don't really know how to get out of it.
1: Yeah. I've just felt so stuck for so long and, um, and it goes back to, you only want to be in a relationship that you love where the person loves you back. And uh, as much as I wanted the first one to work, at some point, you just have to be honest. It's like, you know, as much help as we got, this isn't working. And I wasn't happy. And it wasn't I wasn't happy with me. I was just unhappy with the interactions that were nonstop stressful. And... I I think why it's working this time is we have similar values, um, especially around health. And we're both very intentional in that, you know, I think all relationships, you should know what you want. I have an exercise I do for myself and with my patients called the One Page Miracle, on one piece of paper, write down what you want, um, relationships, work, money, physical, emotional, spiritual health. What do you want? And then every day you just ask yourself, does my behavior get me what I want? Does it fit? And so with Tana, we both have the same goal, kind, caring, loving, supportive, passionate relationships. And I get rude thoughts that come into my head, but I don't say them because it doesn't fit the goals I have. Now, neither of us are perfect. I'm, I tend to be pretty optimistic and positive, uh, despite all the attacks i you know and i think it's from the positivity bias training she tends to be much more intense and she's got red hair uh, and <laughs> her dragon in my new book i talk about the dragons from the past that breathe fire on your emotional brain she's got the judgmental one <laughs> um, but it just works you know i sort of soften her and she fires me up and um we are kind to each other on a consistent basis, because we act in purposeful ways, consistent with a common goal.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's making sure that your actions align with your aspirations. I think that's so powerful. And if, if you're listening right now, I know I'm getting so many knowledge bombs from Dr. Amen So get, pull over, take, take the notepad out, and, and just really work on implementing some of these things that we're speaking about into your life. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Now you mentioned these hidden dragons doc. Um, You mentioned that your wife's is judgment. Uh, Maybe that's the most prominent one. And I know you mentioned yours was abandonment, I believe, correct? Well, the first dragon and
1: my dragon is one called the abandoned invisible or insignificant dragon. And you know, out of the 13, most people have multiple dragons, but um there's usually a primary dragon, and that's my primary dragon. I'm one of seven children, I'm third, I'm the second son in a Lebanese family, which means you are completely not special, expendable, and I have five sisters, so nobody saw me. And I grew up feeling invisible, um, and I think what I do is I have tamed that dragon by seeking significance, and I've been blessed because it sort of worked for me. Um, but that's how you tame that dragon is you connect with others. You become part of a group uh, that matters to you and the whole idea of purpose, and that's knowing your purpose helps tame that dragon. Um, purposeful people live longer. And my favorite book of all time is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning because he said, those are the people who survived the concentration camps and during Nazi Germany is they had a reason to live so knowing your reason helps you so much
0: yeah and and doc piggybacking on what you mentioned about growing up uh one of seven i know you had uh, a father who immigrated from lebanon who started a successful grocery chain and uh maybe was hard on you at times to say the least and And I know he recently passed uh, last year. So I'm curious to know if you don't mind sharing, you know, maybe the biggest lesson that you learned from your dad, maybe the biggest thing that you appreciate, and then maybe something from your childhood that was the hardest to overcome.
1: Yeah, I had a complex relationship with my dad. Um, His favorite word was no. His second favorite word was bullshit. So that's what I lived with bullshit and no (laughs) growing up. Um, Yeah, he wasn't soft. He wasn't kind. Uh, I I didn't really have a relationship with him for many years. Um, And and I was bitter about that. One of my young memories. I have a new public television special coming out uh, beginning of March where um i do it with tana it's called overcoming anxiety depression trauma and grief and i tell the story of when we were young and I actually have video of this uh we had a white goat named sugar and i loved sugar and sugar loved me you can actually see in the video she's kissing me and we're chasing each other i mean it's just beautiful and then um but sugar also liked my dad's roses And that was like the kiss of death. So one day, sugar gets taken away. um, And I had no idea they were taking sugar away to slaughter her. And a couple of nights at dinner, um, my dad announced they were feeding us goat stew, which meant they were feeding us sugar. And I remember throwing up and running to my room crying. It was really awful. And then I blocked it. So this is the wounded dragon. And often when there's a trauma that hurtful, um, your brain can block it out. But I know from that moment, I was very angry at my dad. And, uh, you know, 40 years later of giving a lecture in Monterey, Mexico at a big arena there, and in Mexico, they actually have goat meat for sale on, uh, you know, like street vendors. And when I saw it, all of a sudden I had a panic attack and got flooded with that memory. Mm. Um, but, but it has a really cool ending. Um, when I got healthy, you know, I started looking at the brain and I want my brain to be better. So I'm getting physically healthy. My dad makes fun of me. And it was pretty irritating, but I have a thick skin, but you know, it was just sort of another way he was making fun of me. Um, When he was 85. So it's, I guess about six years ago now, almost seven years ago, he got really sick. They had mold in their house and, um, He developed a chronic cough and then a heart arrhythmia Mm. and then he got depressed. And this is someone who used to say, I don't get heart attacks. I give them. (laughs) And but when he got depressed. He looked at me and he said, I'm sick of being sick. What do you want me to do? And I just laid out the plan. And he's so stubborn. He did everything I asked him to do. And within six months, he's lost 40 pounds. He's going back to work. He and I work out. Every Sunday. He can do a six minute plank. um, What? Yeah, no, I can't do a six minute plank. I mean, I'm like dropping off at three minutes dying and and it healed my relationship with him. And I'm just so grateful that we had those last five years that I didn't have to internalize him as bad Mm -hmm. because I had for many, many years. And I internalized him as that because he was unnecessarily harsh Uh, which was a reflection of his own relationship with his father, but not his mother. His mother was an awesome human being. You know, she's one of my favorite people in the world. So, um, yeah, it was a complicated relationship. And when he died, um, it was really sad. And I write about it in the book because one of the dragons is the grief and lost dragon. And I know if I wouldn't have fixed the relationship with my dad, that the grief would have been harder, because grief is often hard when relationships are ambivalent. And, and, I, you know, at the end, I wasn't ambivalent at all. He was just one of my best friends.
0: Doc, that's beautiful. And, and I can see you getting emotional telling that story. And I really appreciate it because I know someone is listening right now who has, you know, a trigger trauma from the past with a loved one that is weighing on them. And if there's anything that 2020 taught us, it's that life is so precious and we only have one and yes, you may have been wrong. You may have been disrespected, hurt. Um, But this is really a great opportunity to, you know, heal and operate with compassion. So thank you so much for leading by example and sharing that and talking about more of these dragons that are haunting us in the present moment and stripping us from stepping into our potential in the future. uh, What would you say is the most common one we are seeing as a society with the pandemic in 2020 and then how has isolation from our friends from our family accelerated that what other problems has that piled on
1: we actually have a quiz called know your dragons you can go to knowyourdragons.com and take uh find out which dragons you have um The most common one is the anxious dragon, sort of not a surprise. (laughs) The second most common one, which was a surprise, is the responsible dragon. That's where you feel like, because of what happened to you in the past, you have to take care of other people where you can actually breed uh, codependency uh, if you're not careful with that dragon. Um, The wounded dragon is really common. Um the angry dragon, uh, with the political unrest, uh has reared it's had uh one of my favorite dragons, was also very common, is the ancestral dragon, where the issues you have are actually not yours, that you inherited them from your mother, from your grandfather, uh, and so on. Like Tana's grandmother grew up during a famine in Lebanon. Um during World War One, and she actually wrote that trauma in her genes. So when the pandemic happened, Tan had already had a pandemic room, and her genes had been preparing for scarcity for three generations because of what happened to her grandmother.
0: wow, that it's it's heavy. And a lot of times we're not aware and conscious of the impact of these things and the burden that we carry. Um, So last thing about the book that I would love for you to touch on. I know we're running out of time here, Doc. Um, You also offer this really interesting new 12-step program for addiction that's really based on the principles of neuroscience. And I have a couple of clients that have overcame addiction. So I'm personally very curious about this.
1: Yeah, it really should be a book by itself, but um, when I was thinking about the Addicted Dragons, because they're everywhere, the pandemic is just causing them to populate, uh, overpopulate for sure, that the 12-step program that is so popular uh, was actually developed 85 years ago. And there's just nothing about brain science in it. And I went, well that's sort of crazy. And and I think it starts in the wrong place. So the 12 steps start with my life is out of control. And I think that's the wrong place to start because you should start with well what do you want? And step 2 is your behavior getting you what you want. And if it's not getting you what you want, you need help. And step 3 it starts with your brain. Because when your brain works right, you work right. When your brain is troubled, for whatever reason, you're going to have trouble in your life. And there's a step on getting cravings under control. There's a step on dripping dopamine. Don't dump it. You know, as we talked about earlier, when you dump dopamine with drugs or alcohol or fame, it wears out your pleasure centers. So you need to sort of get these micro moments of happiness and pay attention to that because that will drip Dopamine. I'm really excited uh, about it. A lot of addiction treatments refer to us, use our work, and so it feels like giving back to them a new approach that can help them be more effective.
0: Yeah, Doc, thank you so much, honestly, for the work that you're doing. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you. I mean, for someone like me, I'm 30 years old and I've really dedicated my life to health and wellness and and helping people heal and just become more happy and healthy. And you've been one of the people, one of the few people that I've really just admired and looked up to and followed and, and really applied a lot of your principles to my own life and to my client's life. So thank you so much. And, Doc, where can people get this book and where can they learn more about Amen Clinics?
1: So, Your Brain is Always Listening. They can go there and learn all about the book, yourbrainisalwayslistening.com. They can get the book at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, anywhere great books are sold. Um, and they can learn about our work at Amen Clinics. We have nine clinics around the country, we have a brand new one in Dallas, uh, Amen clinics.com so amen like the last word in a prayer clinics.com
0: thank you so much doc and i can't wait for the world to have access to this show this episode and your amazing wealth of knowledge so thank you so much and have an amazing rest of your tuesday tuesday
1: well thanks for helping me share this work i'm really grateful to you jeremy
0: all right doc much love brother Thank you so much for listening until the end of the show. And I hope you got as much enjoyment out of that conversation as I did, because Dr. Amen is truly one of the most wise, knowledgeable and forward-thinking health practitioners that I have ever encountered. And he is so courageous in my opinion, because he's received so much criticism and negative feedback from other people in the industry. And he didn't let that stop him from continuing his vision, from chasing his dreams, from helping thousands of people all over the world, heal their brains. And I hope that you just take away one thing from today's show, one thing and apply it into your life, because at Thrive University, we truly believe that knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. You need to put this knowledge, this information, this wisdom into application for it to really transform your life. So before I sign off fam, I just wanna again thank you for listening. And if you feel inspired to do so, please share this show with a friend share this show on Instagram, on your stories, and tag me at Coach Jeremy 305. Let me know what was the biggest takeaway for you. And lastly, it means the world if you leave a review, leave a rating, because that allows us to reach more people and impact more lives. And at Thrive University, that is our mission, is to empower and educate as many people as possible with the tools that they never received in school. So. Thank you. I appreciate you. Remember that you are loved. You are appreciated. You are not alone. And you matter. Thank you so much, fam. Peace out.